So, if you've been sticking around since the first episode, you get a gold star. I mean, you might recall the paper stamping analogy that I made, where you move through life or your day with a huge pile of paperwork that needs to be stamped, and you sit there and you stamp it one by one as it gets delivered to you on the smooth, high tech conveyor belt, saying, Next, next, next. I had made the comment that it's not so much what. And how much I do, but the quality of attention I bring to what I do that determines my experience of joy, fulfillment, and time well spent. I also talked about how I go through so much of my life without really paying attention, and how that can sometimes feel like this. <sighs> In fact, this paper stamping mode, as I like to call it, Is a very familiar one to me. Even when I pick up a new book to read, I'm one of those people that has to read the forewords, notes from the author, how to use this book, and then the introduction. And then when I finally get to chapter one, I have to read all the footnotes and the captions for the figures as they come up, and so on. Well, at least I don't usually read the acknowledgements and the publishing information because it's not really content. But the point is, I only feel like I'm really reading a book properly when I'm checking off all these sections in order. And sometimes it makes sense because each of these sections could be providing important information that I need or want. What I notice though is that a lot of the times when I do this, I'm not driven so much by a burning desire to understand the knowledge and make it mine, but more. The secure feeling I get when I've read all the words I could possibly read. The feeling that now that I've eye stamped all these pages, I'm good to go. There's nothing more I could do. But did I actually need or want or absorb all the material in the notes from the author section? Many times, I find myself glazing over the same paragraph over and over, and once I get to chapter one, I'm tired. Guess I'll save the real content for some other day, but at least I'm doing this the right way. Woo! This might be kind of a silly or trivial example, but it reflects something important that also seems to show up in my overall approach to life. I always want to do things the right way, the ten steps to success way, if I can find it, the foolproof way with a stamp of approval from parents. Teachers, society, government, culture—just somebody, please tell me how to do this life thing right, and I'll spend my life ticking all the right boxes. And once it's all done, I'll be eighty years old. Well, luckily I'm not there yet, and I've come to terms with the fact that this approach to life, which is based on fear and the illusion of security, does not give me. The soulful meaning and fulfillment that I seek, because it keeps me small, within the boundaries set by someone else, and then unconsciously adopted by me. And if it's not a good fit, it'll keep my true potentials locked away and atrophied. And to numb the pain of that tragedy, 
I'll have to remain half asleep, not really paying attention, and busy but not really doing anything in my books. So, away with paper stamping and ticking the boxes. Away with someone else's pile of paperwork and list of tasks. Still a long way to go, but this is my call to adventure to become the author, authority of my own life. But recently, I had another revelation. So, I work as a massage therapist, and the COVID situation has presented me with some interesting challenges, let's say. What would body work and touch look like in a world where we actively avoid physical contact? Given how important I know touch is to our well being and health, how do I adapt and help keep this art and ages old wisdom alive? During these stressful times, how can we, at the very least, give the gift of touch and care to ourselves and our loved ones? At the same time that I started pondering these questions, my friend Ira started researching and telling me about heart intelligence, how the heart is not simply a pump, but an intelligent organ with its own neurons and constantly transmitting information through the electromagnetic field. Fascinating. And this brings a whole another level of meaning and possibilities to touching someone, huh? So we've been doing some heart meditations together and finding that to be very helpful. And around the same time, Ira also brought up the energy medicine work by Donna Eden. She wanted to try with me some of the exercises introduced in the book. Well, I had always been secretly interested in this stuff, but also very skeptical and didn't have anyone to actually explore it with. And now I do. Cool. And then the other day, we were having a discussion in our women's group that we're both part of and brainstorming ways to reach out to and offer helpful things for the greater community. 
and everything we had been discussing about touch and heart and energy seemed to fit perfectly for this. So that's how the Touch and Heart Dialogue series was born. A video series and a study group for the topics of touch, body, heart, and energy that we're offering for free and hoping to develop into workshops and discussion groups. And the way it worked out, it just ticked all the boxes all at once. Boxes I didn't even know I had. There seemed to be at least four different threads I had been following that seemed like four different problems or aspects of my life with four different courses of action. And for some time, before all the pieces came together, it felt a bit chaotic and uncertain with all these possibilities floating around, like there were too many loose threads hanging that I didn't know what to do with. And then at some point, they all started to weave together in a beautiful win-win-win-win sort of way. The start of a new pattern to be unfolded. And hopefully, a good one. It reminds me a little of that online service or app that I heard about once where you can enter all the ingredients you have in your fridge and it gives you the recipe of a dish you can make with those ingredients. Or I, I do this on my own too. And I get an inordinate amount of satisfaction when I can make it all work so that no food is wasted and everything I already have is used up for a delicious dish or two. Well, to be fair, fried rice and stews are pretty forgiving. And to be honest, some of these dishes might fail, as certain people in my life might be able to testify. I might get overzealous in ticking all the boxes and make that the focus. Okay, some leftover frozen broccoli and beans, a can of sardines, chard and celery in borscht? I have to be careful not to just make an everything soup and force combinations that don't want to exist for the sake of ticking all the boxes I bring to the table. But if I keep myself open through the discomfort of not knowing how it'll all work out, there come moments when things just click and come together. Ah! Like you make that final connection in a circuit and the whole thing suddenly comes alive with the little light bulb switching on. And what I find is that there are certain ways these connections want to be made. And you can tap into these ways with keen observation and a sense of trust in the process. And when you follow this intuition, it takes you in the direction of harmony, beauty, and aliveness beyond what you might have thought in your mind to be possible. Like a well-integrated living garden where healthy plants grow and insects and animals have a home, where earthworms till the soil and chickens freely fertilize. Trees capture water and sunlight and leaves sequester carbon on the ground and people enjoy the bounty and offer their gift of stewardship as life creates more life in an ever-evolving web of symbiosis. A perfect win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win solution with all the boxes ticked that you could ever want to be ticked anyway. The key here is that the box ticking is a co-creative process 
a partnership with nature. And we don't get to impose our own list of boxes. I mean, the earthworm didn't come in and say, okay, I want 50 acres of land for me and my family, check, and exclusive access to all the yummy compost there, check, and we will build an earthworm city over here, check, and hire the bees to work at the honey factory, check, and the caterpillar shall serve as our trains, check, oh, and no birds allowed. It is unfortunate, but they will have to be exterminated because they are harmful to us. Check. No, the earthworm simply does earthworm things. And so do the bees and the birds and the caterpillars simply do their thing. If a player breaks the harmony, nature will gently and persistently reharmonize the system by sending in angels in the form of weeds, pests, and various forms of dis-ease that will guide back toward balance. So wouldn't it just be smart and more joyous to put down our agendas for a moment and see, hear, and feel what wants to happen in this garden, in this relationship, in this situation, in this life, and to move with it and work with it so that the greater mystery of life can unfold through us. So to me, becoming my own authority 
involves both reclaiming my own power and autonomy and surrendering to something much bigger than myself. Do they sound like contradictory ideas? At this point in my understanding, power is simply an ability to do something, and autonomy means having a choice to determine one's own course of action, whether it's simply picking out what to wear for the day, or deciding what goes into one's own body, or being able to respond to a given situation from a truly authentic place. In order for that to be possible, we need to realize what is authentically ours in the first place. Did I choose this job, this school, this product, this relationship, this lifestyle, this ideology, this cause, this course of action, because something deep within me wanted to be born and unfold? Or did someone or something at some point tell me, or threaten me, or coax me into accepting it? in a subtle or not-so-subtle way. But at the end of the day, I made the decision to accept it. So, am I writing my own autobiography? Or am I stamping through someone else's pile of paperwork? What is truly driving my decisions, and what do I yearn for? Dream of when nobody's looking. Whatever answers I get, don't mean that I'm doing something right or wrong. It is simply a matter of seeing the choices and taking full responsibility for their consequences. And it is a constant process of trial and error and molding and remolding, an act of co-creation. As more of life unfolds and more pieces of the puzzle come in and we get to see more and more of what we are made of. And I believe that in each step of the way, we have a choice to let ourselves be moved towards more harmony and aliveness, towards that beautiful final vision that is not fully in our view yet, or to resist, turn a blind eye, and shrink away in fear and isolation. And if you ask yourself, you will know the right thing to do. It's like what Marie Kondo said about deciding what to keep in your closet and in your life based on the ah or ugh feeling you get when you hold it. I personally prefer to think of it as a feeling of flow versus a feeling of constipation. It really helps me distinguish, if you know what I mean. Whatever it is for you, I hope you will follow it and take delight through all the struggles and heartbreaks of life and trust in the unfolding of the mystery that is the true you. Mm -hmm.